2: Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host, Nick Philato Today, we're going to roll on with some NFC East draft grades. We're going to do one podcast for the Cowboys and the Commanders. Obviously, you've listened to the Eagles one recently. These drafts, not as impactful, in my opinion, by any means as those two drafts, but still worth discussing because especially where we're going to start here with the Cowboys, Nick, they won a division last year. They have the only bona fide quarterback in the entire division in Dak Prescott, though weirdly he had an off year last year which if he stacks another one this year i would definitely start to get concerned but the crazy thing is he was so good on film in my opinion in 2020 the year before last year that the drop off is weird and maybe just like partially to do with him coming back from the injury i don't know i didn't watch a lot of dallas cowboys film last year but the year before i saw him on film and he was making some really really high level post snap processing reads so that's really where i thought he stood out when he really broke out in 2020 and obviously you know Maybe the injury is playing a factor, but they're still number one in the division, Nick. So let's start there with the Cowboys. And before we go into what they did in the first round and then go over their draft, I want to talk to you about, have you seen their leaked draft board, Nick? Because it it leaked on Twitter. Have you seen it? No, I actually haven't, but I'm really interested to hear. I figured you might be. So kudos to, I'm trying to find who DM this to us uh, as I try to find the draft board, which is obviously – not great radio, so just bear with us for a moment here as I try to find this. And obviously, as you, you might have known or might not known, Jerry Jerry Jones, during his opening day presser, was like, look, Tyler Smith was our number one ranked player on the board over both Zion Johnson and Kenyon Green. If you don't believe us, look, here's our draft board. And he flashed the big board for, like, I don't know, like 10 seconds. It's a long time he flashed the big board to the media. And then finally, like, Will McClay or somebody, or it might have been, like, his son, Stephen Jones, is like, Put that down. Like, stop. Like, what are you doing? Put the big board <laughs> down. like. And this is not the first time they've had an issue with leaking their big board. Like, they were on they were on NFL Network a couple years ago, and their whole big board was up, and then somebody got, like, their whole first rounds word. So, I don't have the first rounds, but what I have is their big board through Tyler Smith. Um, and Tyler Smith was their 16th ranked player overall on their big board. All right, so here we go, Nick. You ready? I am. The top is the most fun part for us as Giants fans, especially given the recent track record of Cowboys, what I call him, GM, Will McClay. He's not their actual GM, I don't think. I think they have a bunch of guys in charge, including Steven and Jerry, but Will McClay is the reason they've turned the franchise around. They were awful at drafting before him. And their draft board is, number one, Kayvon Thibodeau, number two, Evan Neal. That's how it starts. How crazy is Uh that? Wow! How have I missed this, dude? Am I some troglodyte living under no, a rock? It literally came out like minutes before we're recording here, and it didn't. Even, I don't know. It might have come out like uh, two hours ago. I see somebody posted it. I realized that it just came out. Yeah, J Money eight six five
1: five. Thank you so go. much. So I haven't even checked TweetDeck or checked. So that's why I haven't seen it. But that is something, man. That the two New York Giants were number one and two on their list. I think that is so funny. And Dan, another question about just Dallas in general. So Big Steve, my father, hates Jerry Jones absolutely hate jerry jones every time they flash to jerry jones and he's upset because the cowboys are losing (laughs) he always goes like yeah yeah (laughs) where's that smile now jerry hey how you doing he gets so much joy out of jerry jones being upset don't understand why low-key very low-key giants fans very low-key jerry jones is wildly entertaining to me when he speaks bro like i i listen because he's so unpredictable you have no idea dude he just showed the world (laughs) they're that is so bad. You don't want other teams to know what you're thinking. And he just did that, bro. Like, I don't know, like that's so out there.
2: It is out there and he doesn't care. And he's done it before. Like I said, and good for us because we get an idea of not only what their draft board was this year, but the type of players, maybe they look into for the future. There's some way, maybe the giants can use this to their advantage. Either way, it's more information is better. It can't be worse. And so I thought that was interesting, especially because these were the top two guys on my personal big board. If I were to make one, I felt like Neil was the best tackle in this class. I felt like he was the number guy I would have taken at one. And Thibodeau was the guy I would have taken at two or one. I go back and forth. And, you know, as I've said before, I'm not taking Aiden Hutchinson over Kayvon Thibodeau. I'm just not. I just don't see the ceiling for for Hutchinson that I see for Thibodeau. I know there's a higher floor there potentially, though no one seems to be crediting the fact that he had super short arms and was a late breakout because he wasn't really anything special at Michigan before this last season. I just want to say that because – We're going to get to that later when we talk about all the drafts because I think it really broke nicely. But according to this big board, it broke great. And then he has Aiden Hutchinson, three Garrett Wilson, four, which is interesting. I think I'm not as big a fan as Wilson, I guess, as as they are on the Jets are. What are your thoughts on Wilson at four?
1: From what I've seen, I think Garrett Wilson is a solid player, but I wouldn't have him anywhere near my fourth. He'd be a top 20 player for me, though. Yeah,
2: for sure. Then they have Gardner, Sauce Gardner 5, no, no surprise. Stingley at 6, no surprise. Trayvon Walker 7, which is interesting because I think, as we'll talk about when we get to the overall drafts of every team, we're really lucky that the Jags are picking at 1. And I want to spoil this now because I have a fun rant coming at some point for this or a little shrine to Trent Bulky that I want to build. But as far as Walker, would you put him in your top 7?
1: Walker, I think it really comes down to just... It's all projection, really, right. at this point. What he can be. Would he be top... I don't think he would fall into my top seven, so no. Yeah,
2: he'd fall into my top seven. I can't... I've just seen too many of these pro, full... I I haven't seen too many of these full projection guys. Like Usually, there's projection plus production if they're going top 10. It's very rarely just pure projection. Some of these like pure projections in the past, can't remember all of them, but the guy that... Uh, the Browns took a while ago, Courtney Brown, the guy, the jets took that one year from Ohio state. I believe it was, what was his name? Do you remember this boss? They had not Copels. It was, um, yeah, Darren Lee. No, not Darren Lee, Vernon Goulston, Vernon Goulston nailed okay. it. You nailed it. And so like these pure production, these pure projection guys, if I'm going that early in the draft, I'm okay. Taking bigger projection swings later in the draft, not top 10. So not for me either. Kyle Hamilton at eight, it at nine Drake London at 10. Jordan Davis at 11, Charles Cross 12, and here's an interesting surprise, Louis Seen at 13. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Hey, it makes sense. Louis Seen, dude, he's a he's a dog. He's a good football player, so I think that they I think they were interested in Xavier McKinney, or at least they were always linked to him pre-draft, and then he didn't test well, so they went in another direction and he's a New York Giant now, so it doesn't really surprise me that they would like Louis Seen.
2: I've seen somebody who I came around a lot to at the end of the draft process. And I was like, damn, this is a guy I definitely want at 36. He didn't make it down there anyway, so it didn't matter. They got Jamison Williams at 14, which is interesting to me that they have Williams behind a lot of these receivers here with with um uh, well or not a lot, but Wilson and Drake London. I, I thought he was the wide receiver one in this class. Um, but I can see the I can see the case for at least Drake London, potentially. But I I'll be honest with you, Nick. I'm not a huge fan of Drake London. We'll see what happens there.
1: Looking forward to seeing Kyle Pitts and Drake London together. That is true. That is
2: two mismatches for whoever ends up quarterback. Then they had Olave at fifteen, so the, that's good news for Saints fans who are not thrilled about trading. Like, <laughs> they ended up trading like so many assets. I think Mike Renner tweeted this out yesterday. The full package of what they traded, or what they got, gave up to get Olave, <laughs> just because they traded next year one with you. The, they they traded up like ninety eight, one hundred two. It's just like a crazy amount of assets for Chris Olave, who's like under basically barely six foot is he even six foot it's like 185 yeah i think he's like six foot like
1: 180 it literally reminded me of kevin costner in draft day (laughs) (laughs) yeah kind of
2: like i just i don't know man i feel like for a receiver for me i'm looking for such a different i'm looking for such a different profile than i was in this class for the most part and just that then that teams are investing heavy early picks on like if i'm investing one of these top eight through 45 50 picks like Let's say through 35, honestly, 45, because you found AJ Brown in that range. You found DK Metcalf in that range. I want that type of profile. I don't really want these 180, these guys, because if you look at recent history, there's very few examples of the, of the best players being those 200, you know, those guys who are sub 200 pounds and I don't know, we'll see, but anyway, they got. Tyler Smith then at 16, who they ended up drafting. So let's start there with their first pick of Tyler Smith. He was a player I was very high on. I think I was higher, a little bit higher on than you were. Um, Cause I, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. They're going to, looks like they're going to play him at guard, but maybe he might play tackle. Cause they don't really have too many long-term solutions there at tackle with Lel Collins. Or I'm sorry, with Tyron Smith getting older and the injuries still piling up there. What are your thoughts on this pick? And where do you think he's going to play
1: for the Cowboys? So I actually didn't do an evaluation i Tyler Smith. He was one of the linemen I never really got around to. I've seen clips of him, and I've heard people that I respect talk about him. And the clips that I did see, he gave me some of those Trevor Penning vibes in the sense that he has no idea what he's doing with his hands. But I remember I saw a clip, I think it was Tulsa against Cincinnati, where he uplifted a dude who was probably like 290 pounds and just slammed him to the ground. And I was like, well, when you have that type of raw power, I can understand why somebody's going to really want you. And it makes sense because you look at the Dallas Cowboys – Offensive line, they lost Connor Williams. Connor Williams, I feel like, isn't as good as other people might think. I've, every time I watched Connor Williams against the Giants, he was getting just absolutely bitched by Dalvin Tomlinson or Dexter Lawrence. But now he's not there, so they needed to replace him. And then they also lost Lyle Collins. And I feel like that's a big loss for them because Lyle Collins is one of the better tackles in the NFL. So you draft this dude who's versatile. I think from the little bit I've seen, he's probably best fitting him inside. And I think that's the exact type of dude the Dallas Cowboys want, somebody who is going to eat class and run through your face as a run blocker. You just fix his hands a little bit, hopefully limit his propensity to hold, or at least from what I've seen, and then you have a solid player. So that's kind of where I'm at with it, but I wish I kind of watched a little bit more of him pre-draft.
2: Yeah, I think that's fair, and I think some people are viewing this pick as a reach for the Cowboys, which could be the case, and then they come around in day two and do the most Cowboys thing ever. Am I right, Nick? They take Sam Williams, and look, we watched Williams. He was one of the first players that you put me on Nick, because I did watch his tape, especially because I was watching Cross and his game against Cross. He does look to me like he could honestly be one of the better edge rushers in this class. I see the upside. But, man, with all those off-field concerns, it's such a Cowboys-type move to use the 56th overall pick, which is still high capital, on a player like this where you know it's not even like if he didn't have these crazy off-field concerns, he would have been a top-10 pick. He wouldn't have been. He doesn't have those kind of traits. He's like 6'4", 261. I don't think he has any kind of amazing burst off the edge or bend or anything like that. He just looked like a player who was more successful and had projection, you know, traits you can project to be maybe one of the better pass rushers in this class. But with the off-field concerns here, I just don't love the pick for the Cowboys because one, on one hand, you could say, Nick, oh, the Cowboys have done this in the past, right? Like, they're not afraid to take these players. It works out. There's been so many more examples of this not working out for the Cowboys over the last decade or so when they take these character concern guys. So I'm not going to bank on the few times it has hit for them. I'm thinking this is going to be a pick they end up regretting.
1: Yeah, I'm not really sure. I liked Sam Williams' tape. I, I can't speak to the character of the kid. I know it was a bad allegation that was levied against him, and the Cowboys came out since and said we thoroughly investigated it. But this was somebody who had over 60 pressures, and the game that I did see of him against Charles Cross, I felt like he got the better of Charles Cross. I feel like he is a good first step. He's explosive. Doesn't have the bend, like you said. I feel like all that is correct. But I did feel like he did a really good job stringing his moves together, using his hands and converting speed to power while playing with low leverage at six foot four understand the player i do believe it is a little bit of reachy just because of all of those concerns but they have much more access than i do so that's kind of where i'm at with that
2: yeah i just think when you're suspended by the university it's serious because the universe i'm not i'm going out on a limb here nick because i don't want to offend anyone but i feel like universities do almost everything in their power not to suspend a player if they don't have to and he was suspended for Right, he's like they don't yeah. want that. That like they're gonna try to hide if they can. But like I know the Cowboys quote unquote thoroughly investigated. But these are sexual battery charges that required him to be suspended by his own team, not by the NCAA. So I just feel like I don't know sexual battery charges on a player that just seems to me like a big risk to take at fifty six, and it's 100%. a Cowboys move, and it
1: could pay off, like you said. It's, it's 100% a Cowboys move, and it's definitely not something I feel like the Giants would, uh, would ever do, especially not right now. So it's, it's ugly for certain, but uh, like, again, I don't know exactly what happened. I don't have all that information. I'm just speaking on the player himself. There are tools to work with there, and I can see him being a pretty good NFL player if he is on the straight and narrow, but I do agree with your sentiment.
2: And that's fair because it, it ultimately could end up being value from that standpoint. If he's on the straight and narrow time will tell there, they come around with their second pick and they, you know, just like a lot of teams in this draft, I'm sure they had a lot of guys they wanted at receiver to help replace Amari Cooper. Cause it's been big for them to keep replenishing that receiver room. You know, they re-signed Gallup, but he's going to come off the ACL. They have the CD Lamb, but they lost Amari Cooper. Um, and Ultimately, I think they probably had guys they wanted, but this crazy receiver one left run left them with with a player who I wasn't super high on. I know he had a lot of hype in the pre-draft process from some people. I remember even when we talked to Schmelke, when Schmelke's like, who's your big sleeper? Who's your big sleeper? Is it this guy? When I was talking, to Talon it was Thor, and I was like, he's like, is it this guy? And I was like, no. But, I, I you know, I had heard the hype, too. I Jalen. So they take Jalen Tolbert here, Nick. He's six foot three, one ninety. He does have good ball tracking ability from when I've watched him. But, man, he's an older prospect, and I didn't feel like he had – I didn't know if I saw the game speed that's going to translate to the next level based on where he was playing at South Alabama and how it looked from a speed standpoint at that level of football. So you're getting an older prospect, which is not great. You're getting someone who might not have the speed that translates as it clicks to the next level. I don't think he has yak ability. I don't think he has lateral agility. and, and the So really, it, to me, it seems like just a pure vertical threat type of gamble you're making. On trait on traits that are like six foot three, one ninety, you know, good ball tracking skills. I don't know if I want I don't know if I look at that pick like this is a good pick for the Cowboys. It seems too specific for me.
1: Yeah, Jalen Tolbert's interesting, and we talked about it on a previous podcast how there was the wide receiver run, and Jalen Tolbert kind of fell down into that. You already had Wandell Robinson God and the Alec Pierce's the Sky Moors, all of those day two type of guys were gone by that point of the draft. I didn't think Jalen Tolbert was super slow, I-, I would say. I'm trying to pull my notes up right here. I feel like I had him as like a, a solid overall athlete in terms of his speed, but he was playing at such a low level of competition. I'm not necessarily threatened as a Giants fan by this selection. You get him on day two, that's all well and good. I felt like he was probably around that area back in day two, early day three type of option. Might have got pushed up because of the wide receiver run. But he's going to be a player who will definitely – be behind the pecking order. And another thing about the Dallas Cowboys, they lost Cedric Wilson, who they reportedly loved. He signed with the Miami right. Dolphins. Great so there's going players. to be a ton of targets in that room. I think Tolbert is is a—it's not really inspiring. I just think he's going to be one of those guys who can move the chains and run solid routes for you.
2: Yeah, that's fair. That's completely fair. I, I'm, I can understand that. Let's just look at the testing numbers, though, which I thought were interesting. Three-cone drill, 28th percentile, not good at all. Shows what I think is going to be an athlete who when I watched him just doesn't. And again, I didn't watch his. I don't even know if I watched as much as you. I watched very few. I watched a game, a full game of his, and I've seen some highlights, but I just look at it from that and the speed as it compares to who he's playing against 28th percentile, three cone, 57th percentile, 40 yard dash 57th percentile vert jump. This isn't any kind of crazy good athlete, 44th percentile wingspan. So I don't know, to me, he seems like a one trick pony as a vertical threat. And I'm not even so sure that that's going to translate so well to the next level. So I just, that would be my concern there.
1: Yeah, I understand those concerns in terms of Jalen Tolbert, but I know, Dan, yeah. you're
2: going to love the fourth
1: round picks. So I'll allow you to announce it. Yeah, everyone was saying you could get him in
2: round five, you can get him around six. We did some mocks where I think we took him at like 187 overall and still got a C grade from Pro Football Focus. But the NFL was obviously a lot higher. Um, Wisconsin tight end Jake Ferguson because the Cowboys took him at 129 overall shortly after a pretty solid tight end run with the Giants the Ravens the Cowboys Giants taking Daniel Bellinger the Ravens taking Charlie Kohler and then the Cowboys taking Jake Ferguson I think this will be a good pick for them I think that's their second Wisconsin player they've taken in recent years and they you know had a decent success on the first one and when it comes to Ferguson The big thing for me is I'm not even as sure that he's going to be some kind of amazing blocker at the next level, even though he's a pretty good blocker at the collegiate level. I think he has more juice than people realize as a receiver. I think he just was so held back by Wisconsin having such a low volume passing game and having the quarterbacks who just don't put the ball on target. When you watch some of his tape, you see some of what he was able to do on those tight end screens and then as a threat in the red zone. And then even sometimes on those outbreakers, like running the running those like kind of intermediate out routes. He has juice. And I think he's going to end up being a nice fine for the Cowboys here.
1: And I think it was an Great landing spot for him because Dalton Schultz, right. he's on the franchise tag. And I like Dalton Schultz. And I think these two players, they're a little bit similar. I think Jake Ferguson is a better blocker. I think Dalton Schultz has excellent spatial awareness. Can't really speak to Ferguson's spatial awareness in terms of finding those soft spots in zone. I'm sure he's probably pretty solid at it, but he wasn't maybe asked to do it as much as someone like a Dalton Schultz. But if something happens to Schultz, who else do they have? They have right. Jeremy Sprinkle, Sean McKean. Ian Bunting, Jake Ferguson might be forced to start if something ever does happen to Schultz. And you also know Kellen Moore likes to align in 12 personnel packages, sometimes more of an 11 personnel base. But when they do align in 12 personnel, I kind of expect Ferguson to get out there, especially if he can translate the blocking that we saw in college to the NFL level.
2: Yeah, without a doubt. And so we'll see what happens there. They had a lot of picks in round five and on day three. Do you have any I don't have too much on these next two picks, so I'm going to defer to you. Matt, we go the offensive lineman from North Dakota and then Deron Bland, the corner from Fresno. Any thoughts on either of those two picks?
1: So I saw will let's go down at the senior bowl and I actually felt like he was one of those quiet winners down there. Okay. Just always in position, disciplined with his hips, very, very long, wasn't getting beat by speed, solid overall athlete. So that was my impression. I didn't get around a North Dakota film. This is a North Dakota state. This is North Dakota. So there's not a lot of film out there on this guy, but I, he left an impression on me as somebody that I would be comfortable selecting somewhere around this area on day three as a developmental tackle. So I'll say that about him. I don't have anything on Daron bland, the cornerback out of Fresno state. So I can't really give any opinions on that.
2: Same. And then they came back and they took a player who I wanted the giants to take at some point though. I, came around to understanding it's not going to happen in the Joe Shane era, at least not yet, right? Like this could, these types of moves you can make once you have a more established roster like the Cowboys have, and you have the ability to take risks on injury concerns. They took Timone Clark, the linebacker at LSU. And this is a player. I think he's going to miss the whole first season, but after his red shirt, red shirt year in 2022, and he comes back in 2023, He's going to have a really good chance to earn a role on that defense. He was one of the better linebackers in this class overall, and yet he cut. You get him on day five. Or I'm sorry, in round five on day three at 176 overall because the redshirt season is coming.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. And
1: I hate that the Dallas Cowboys were able to get Damone Clark because, as you said, this guy, Pete, if everything's okay with the spine, you're talking about some, like, what, a top 45 player that you just selected at 173 and he just has to have a red shirt year. Damone Clark's tape is fun, and it's not perfect, but it's fun, and he has all the athletic ability in the world, all the size, the range, everything that you want in a modern linebacker, and you combine that with Micah Parsons in two years, I could see us ripping our hair out of our head if this kid is ready to play.
2: Yeah, and it's interesting. When you get to 176 overall, we fawn over players because we watch the film, and that's our job. We fawn over players like Micah McFadden, but ultimately these round five and on picks just bust at an exceptional rate. It's fun to talk about it's what we do we're hoping we can hit the outliers there's going to be a few outliers every year but for the most part it's really high rate go look up the bus rate for fourth and fifth round and even fourth you can take out fourth just look out fifth round and on the bus rate for those fifth through seventh round it's insanely high so if you can get a player like nick just described who on film has all the traits of a modern linebacker and would have probably been a top 50 pick if not for the redshirt season coming up To me, it's just a better bet than taking the guys who just don't, you know, who you think can fit this specific role in your system and you're so excited about some traits they have on tape that fit so perfectly with what you want to do schematically but in the end they may just never be NFL players so I, I don't know i just love this pick by the cowboys i really like what they did at 178 too is a guy who a lot of people don't like but i think is going to fit well in their system john ridgeway 6 foot 6 320 he's a two gapper on that interior defensive line that they got pretty cheap here at one point he was talked about you know, as somebody who people would like in the draft, I mean, when you're six foot six, 320, and you can move pretty well, he doesn't move amazing, but when you can move decently, you're going to get some hype. He ends up falling all the way to 178. What do you think of Ridgeway?
1: Well, I'm glad you asked, Dan. Overall, John Ridgeway is a solid run defender with good hand technique to shed and good upper body strength. I wish he was a bit stronger in his lower half. He struggles to anchor against double teams and his pad level tends to get a little bit high. He doesn't offer much as a pass rusher, but he is a solid developmental player who can slide into a one shade or a four eye shade in a tight front because his lateral agility but that success will primarily be contingent on lower body strength improvements. And he needs to focus on lowering his center of gravity when he's moving laterally. This is somebody who transferred to Arkansas from Illinois State. He transferred from Arkansas. So he had one year of production. I felt like his tape was fine for an interior defensive lineman. But I heard people talking about him as like a back-end day-two guy. And I never saw that. I actually had him as a back-end fifth-round pick. And that's exactly where he ended up getting selected. Well, there you go.
2: And then Devin Harper, they closed the draft out with linebacker out of Oklahoma State, kind of just a traits-based pick there. Uh, six foot two thirty-five, has some good sideline-to-sideline side speed, but you know also offers a little pop on the inside. Anything you you have on Harper? I didn't get around to
1: seeing yeah. Harper specifically, but I watched Malcolm Rodriguez, who was his teammate at Oklahoma State linebacker, who I really liked, and I think I saw Harper you know, running around out there, but I didn't really necessarily have too much on him. I know he ran a 4-5 at his pro day with a 1-5-7, 10-yard split, so that's solid for a guy at his size, 234 pounds. I think he's only 6 foot, though, so he's a little bit undersized, similar to Micah McFadden, who's a little bit taller than that, but yeah, I don't have much uh, tape analysis on him. Fair enough. All right,
2: let's come around to it. Give me an overall grade and opinion on the Cowboys 2022 NFL draft.
1: Yeah, Dan, I think Dallas probably gets a C. It's not anything that's too inspiring. You get somebody, I don't know if Sam Williams is on the straight and narrow. I think Smith could be really good as a guard from the little bit that I've seen of him. Jalen Tolbert, like we said, it's not necessarily inspiring, but I, I think he's a solid addition. Somebody that he doesn't have that kind of elite trait like a Wandell Robinson or anything like that. So I'm going to go with a C.
2: Very average draft. I consider it a C-minus, but I like what they did a lot with Ferguson and Clark and even Ridgeway, who I think could end up being better than people think on day three. But I don't like their day one or day two. I do like Tyler Smith, so I shouldn't say I don't like their day one. I'm fine with their day one. I really don't like their day two. I think if you're going to take Sam Williams, you should be trading back because I don't think you have to risk a team coming up in that area of the draft where there was such a crazy receiver run and there were still a couple edges that were intriguing at that point. I don't think it's worth you know, the risk of not trading down. They didn't trade down at all on day one and day two. They ended up taking Jalen Tolbert, who's an old prospect who to me as a one-dimensional, you know, a one-way threat as a vertical guy, and Sam Williams, who had off-field, major off-field concern coming in. And so you come away from this draft and you look at it versus what we just discussed on the last podcast, Nick, the Eagles. I just don't feel like the Cowboys came anywhere close to improving their team the way the Eagles did. Obviously, the Eagles had more assets, but even factoring that in, I just don't see it at all. I'm not so c- certain. Like you said with Tyler Smith, there's a lot of holding issues and a lot of penalty issues with him on tape. That could really screw him up in year one. We've seen it take a while for offense alignment to translate. Sam Williams maybe offer something on, her, on passing downs in year one but that could be their one thing. I don't really see Jalen Tolbert making much of an impact and Ferguson. I like him, but I'm not so sure he's going to make some kind of crazy impact. So I look at this draft and I don't see the same kind of impact players that the Eagles and the giants got. You nailed it right there. I think that makes a lot of sense. All right. So we got a C there. We got an A for the Eagles in the last pod. Let's wrap this up by talking about those nasty commanders. I I don't know why I use the word nasty. I just hate saying commanders. And so We start here with the Commanders doing a good job at first trading back, I thought, Nick. Then they take a player that you loved and I liked in the pre-draft process but did not love just because I don't see the elite upside with this player. And that's Jahan Dodson, the wide receiver out of of Penn State. Just 5'11", 182 goes at 16 overall to the football team here yes I love his skill set he's a good route runner he does great job with his feet he's decisive he has a wide variety of ways to win uh, it's great separation he can high point the football he does an excellent job of that in a lot of ways he reminded me of a mini Allen Robinson but keyword mini Allen Robinson and like I discussed with my friend Gary Levine who's a diehard Penn State fan he didn't break away like Robinson did at times. And when you were watching Alan Robinson during the Hackenberg days, and he made Hackenberg a potential prospect, Hackenberg is a terrible player. He made him what he was. He would break away and he'd score. Dodson got tracked down too often for a guy for me, who if you're taking in the top 16 at 5'11", at 182, it's just not my profile for a receiver that I'm taking that high. I respect it. I love his game. I get it. But I liked him so much more in that 36 to 46 range than I do at 16.
1: Yeah, it was a little early, but I love Jahan Dotson, so I'm not going to complain about that because I think he is one of the best route runners in that draft. I think he is so good at selling and the way he maneuvers his upper body up stems, the way he releases off the line of scrimmage. And I believe he played a lot of his snaps on the boundary. I don't know how translatable that is to the NFL And I know he's not the strongest or the most physical, but the way he can adjust and contort his body to footballs, I feel like was just exceptional. Some of the catches that he had on tape. And I think combining him with Terry McLaurin is a good way to use his skill set because you don't have to put too much on him. He's not going to be the number one guy, despite being a top 20 draft pick, like say a Chris Olave is going to have to. So he could probably tee off and get easier looks against second type of cornerbacks. I think it's a solid landing spot. And I just loved his overall profile, but I saw the concerns that you named. I think they are wise concerns. I was expecting him to be selected, and I had him graded probably at like 28 to the early second round. I wanted him to be a first round pick because I liked him. 16, maybe a little rich, but I do love the player.
2: Yeah, and I get it. Look, he's all the things I like for in receiver. I just feel like at that range, I want a little bit more breakaway speed and a little bit more overall raw speed as it translates to the next level, especially when you're that size and that profile. But they did it, and then they come back around early day two, early round two, just three picks after the Giants took Wanda Robinson and take Fedarian Mathis, the interior defensive lineman out of Alabama. I understand the idea behind Mathis, but I was never a big believer in taking Mathis this high in the draft. I don't really see too much upside there as a pass rusher. I think he can, you know, look, he has burst. There's obviously when you watch him and you watch Alabama, you see him get upfield. It's not like he can't do it. But talking about somebody who is an older prospect, which, again, was something Joe Shane and the Buffalo Bills back with Brandon Bean. Obviously, they took Tremaine Edmonds at like 18 years old or whatever craziness that was. I think he's like 24 and already extended there, which is insane. But age profile is not great for Vidarian Mathis. I don't love the pass rushing profile as it projects to the next level. Six four three twelve. 312. It's just not my type of pick at 47 overall. What were your thoughts on this pick?
1: It was maybe a little premature, but I like Fidarian Mathis as a player. I thought he, he was very physical, very smart, the typical type of defensive lineman from Alabama, which go figure. He ends up going to Washington. It's not like they already have Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne on their roster. I think he had, at least in college, he had pretty solid pass rushing upside. I mean, he had 25 pressures. I'm pretty sure he was second. I'm not, don't quote me on this one. I think he was second on the team in pressures behind Will Anderson and uh, for uh Guy who's about six foot four, three hundred and what, thirteen pounds, I think is what he showed up at the combine, has good length at 34 and 5 eighths inches with almost 10 and a half inch hands. Like that's those are solid physical traits that he possesses. And when I watched the film, I just felt like he was always in position, didn't really get moved off the ball all that much, had really quick and efficient hands, quick first step. I, I like the player. I thought he would go a little bit later, but I really did end up liking Fedarian math. It's just at this point in the draft, maybe. Maybe it's a, a little rich. I'm, I wish I had a board in front of me with everybody else who was available at that point, specifically on the interior defensive line. But I always liked him a lot better than, like, the Matthew Butlers of the world and defensive linemen like that who were kind of always discussed in the same conversation as a, as Mathis. And I always thought that was a little odd.
2: It's interesting because you're right. He did rack up some pressures at Alabama, especially for an interior guy. I mean, I just don't. <laughs> I, time will tell. I'd be curious if he could be an interior disruptor at the next level because we see a lot of these interior guys that are supposed to be pass rushers just never make it as pass rushers at the NFL level. I think it's a little bit of what we're going through right now with Dexter Lawrence because I thought he was going to be a much better pass rusher at the NFL level. Like They end up having pressures too, and you see it even with Lawrence. He racks up a decent amount of pressures. But is he ever really a threat to win one-on-one as a pass rusher? Is he somebody who the defense, offensive line is accounting for as a one-on-one pass rusher? And is he somebody who's completely just like – Disrupting the backfield early and often—that I, I don't, I don't necessarily see. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be this uber pass
1: rushing defensive tackle either. I think he can apply pressure, and honestly, there really aren't many of these pass rushers from the defensive line like the Chris Joneses and the Jeffrey Simmons and the Aaron right. Donalds. those guys get selected, you know, where Jordan Davis got selected. And I don't necessarily even think Jordan Davis is that. I think he has pass rushing upside. I think he can develop more as a pass rusher, but. In terms of what Jeffrey Simmons and Chris Jones and those guys are, those guys are kind of rare and those guys get selected in the first round. So I didn't necessarily consider Mathis in, in that light. And I guess you probably just don't value a player like that this high in the draft, which I think is a good conversation to have.
2: Yeah, that's just where I'm at with it. Exactly. They are rare. They're hard to find those interior uh, linemen who actually can affect the passer on an every down basis. But if you can't do that, I, I can find you elsewhere. I can, there's so many ways. Like, just look at like the guys like Austin Johnson who bounced around. And now the, you know, get, you get, finally gets a decent contract, but you, you're able to get these guys late in the draft. You're able to get these guys on free agency. It's just not a position I want to invest top 50 picks. in unless, unless I can project the new pass rusher. So we move on to their third round pick. Another pick I'm just not a fan of. I know you were a bigger fan of him in the pre-draft process, but Brian Robinson, the Alabama running back, I get the appeal with him. He's big. He's tough between the tackles. He has more juice lateral lateral agility-wise than you expect in the sense that like, I that could make me be way wrong on this pick, Nick. The fact that I, when I watched him, I was like, you know what, there is some upside based on his lateral agility. I can see it. I get it. But doesn't have the speed I want doesn't have so doesn't have the breakaway ability that I think will translate. In my mind isn't really that dynamic of a runner, is more of just like a a strong, solid, smart runner. And I don't really see him being a major passing game asset at the next level with the exception of obviously he's an exceptional pass protector, but a lot of offenses you want these guys running routes anyway. I don't know, I just don't love the upside of this pick.
1: I'm so glad that you brought up his lateral agility because I feel like like lazy analysis is just like, oh yeah, this guy is just like all a plotter. I'm like, dude, he's not you see yeah. Of, yeah. You see like some of his jump cuts, like he he can avoid contact. But I do agree on, on the whole of what you said. He's not an elite. He doesn't have that elite athletic ability or that elite type of burst. To me, I I describe him as somebody who can play three downs, who's very, very good in pass protection, knows where to be, how to hit the hole, how to set blocks up, how to really manipulate the linebackers. I think he's a smart runner of the football. I like Brian Robinson. I think pairing him with Antonio Gibson is also smart, and that kind of probably takes a little bit off, off of Antonio Gibson's plate. You also have JD McKissick there. I'm kind of interested, I guess. From a reds or from a washington haha Washington point of view on how they're going to work all that, so for washington it's a little odd just because you probably want to use mckissick a lot on third down as well since he spurned the bills and went back to Washington. but I do like the player, but I also agree that he's not necessarily dynamic
2: and i and I know it could be way way off on this just based on that one trait. the lateral agility is there, it's better than it's given credit for, and that alone could make him. That's kind of what makes, in my opinion, Antonio Gibson what he is. But Antonio Gibson does also before the injuries, like the early what we got from Antonio Gibson before he started racking up injuries. So I don't consider this his 2021 version because I think he was playing hurt all year. He also had the speed. That was the thing. The trump card for Gibson was he also had long speed and, in my opinion, was just better as a receiver. So I don't know. They took Gibson in round four and then they come back with this. This is to me it's just like that's the type of player I'm way more interested in taking her. A chance on it running back i feel like you can get your brian robinson's way later even somebody like hassan uh haskins who i think you know in my mind ultimately might even be just as effective as a runner as brian robinson he's not as big he's not i agree he doesn't have the lateral agility but i'm not sure that while robinson does have a lateral agility it's definitely going to translate so i guess that's kind of where i'm at and then they come around in round four and they take the combine freak. And I don't even think he is really is a combine freak. I just think he ran a four three six at what? Six foot or almost six foot one, six foot one ninety-four, and he ran a four three six. And that kind of was like, whoa. Anytime you see a defensive back with those kind of traits, you're like, okay, maybe we can make something of it. And he comes from, I think the same school where the Chiefs found the third rounder, who's been really good for them with similar traits. What was the Chiefs pick recently? And is he from was that from the same school? Lajarius Sneed? Yes. I think that was from La Tech. Okay, that was La Tech. This is just Louisiana. You're right. So, but you know, La- Sneed was somebody who they bet, who they bet on traits and they worked. Do you think this is going to be a bet on traits that works out for the Commanders?
1: Yeah, honestly, I don't have anything on Percy Butler. He's somebody I didn't see or look into whatsoever. So, we know Washington has done this in the past with uh, the kid from Penn State, Troy Apke, who was like a really athletic safety. I think they drafted him even before the. The fourth round, and I don't even I don't even know what his NFL career is. This is somebody who's probably going to be a special teams type player who can maybe find the field for the Washington Commanders. But I don't have anything on the, the kid's skill set, so I can't really weigh in too much. He could be a gunner on special teams. I'm pretty sure if he's that fast and that long, he can probably have success doing that.
2: Yeah, and he definitely has vertical speed to carry like the vertical routes, which is something that's rare at that position, especially if you're that lengthy as he is at six foot and i believe he tested pretty well let me just make sure yeah i mean not great but wingspan 59 though isn't terrible it's solid so like i know what they're betting on here and they're betting on these traits and i don't mind betting on that at the defensive back position especially so i i'm okay with this pick at that value and then they come back at 144 and this is to me was what i consider considered to be the most intriguing pick of their draft and I think it's the best pick. So it's Sam Howe at 144. This is not me saying Sam Howell is a good NFL prospect right now or – or I'm sorry, he's a good NFL quarterback right now or you know the Giants should have taken him. It's me saying that when you usually get to pick 144 of the draft, you don't usually find arm talent like they're getting with Sam Howe. What you usually find – and this guy was taking even earlier – is the Kyle Lalletta types or the big Davis Webb types. So either you get the arm talent, but you get nothing else, or you get guys that are smart and they have all this other bullshit to them. But like Kyle Oletta, when he throws the ball 30 to 40 yards down the field, it's always on the inside shoulder and you're never, ever making it as an NFL quarterback that way. I feel like Howell has very legitimate NFL arm talent to go along with underrated speed to go along with a good season in 2020 before last year when he lost two best receivers and two best running backs. And so I don't love Sam Howell. Obviously, I've watched a little bit of Howell. Now, just watching the two linemen the Giants drafted from his team, but at one forty four, man, this is just not usually the type of raw talent you get at that position. So, I think it's worth a gamble.
1: I think it's worth the gamble too, especially when Carson Wentz is your quarterback. Even though you're pretty uh, set to to have Carson Wentz there after you traded the trap the draft capital to acquire him, and I watched a lot of Sam Howell recently because of Azudu and McKeithan, and I thought it was a little up and down. The year definitely didn't go as planned for someone like Sam Howell. And I also find it funny that he gets Baker Mayfield comps and then you pull his pitcher up and he kind of looks like a a sweaty version of Baker Mayfield. (laughs) I think it's kind of uh, odd, but I definitely wouldn't mind drafting him here on day three when you kind of have an uncertain position at
2: quarterback. So I, I don't hate it. Yeah, I just ended up liking this pick. And then they took at 149 because they traded back, obviously, earlier to get these picks, some of these picks. They traded, they took Cole Turner from Nevada, the tight end, who we said we kind of liked. And we thought there was some surprising upside there.
1: Yeah, Cole Turner's a good receiver. He was the. Tight end for Carson Strong out there at Nevada. Big body. He's, I think, 6'6", 6'7", about 250 pounds. Not necessarily somebody who you want blocking, but he can go over the middle of the field, run the seam route well, extend away from his frame. And I have saw him make plenty of contested catches doing that. I thought that at the senior bowl, he had a solid week. So at this point of the draft, this makes sense. Yeah, without a
2: doubt. And then they took a player at 230 who I actually was hearing about in the pre-draft process, somebody who some people liked as like a late day two guy and then ultimately just fell all the way to the seventh round here. And that's Chris Paul, the offensive lineman at a Tulsa, 6'4", 324, might be able to play offensive tackle, probably is going to have to kick inside, obviously teammate of Tyler Smith. What are your thoughts on Paul? Was this any kind of value or anything the Giants need to worry about? Yeah, man, he's an excellent team leader who can hit the jump shot, drive the hole,
1: you know, yeah. he has a great layup. No, I honestly don't have anything on Chris Paul from Tulsa just because I didn't watch a lot of Tulsa film because, like right. I said, earlier. I didn't really get around the Tyler Smith, but I heard a lot of people that I respect kind of gush about him. So I think that's excellent. If you were to get somebody with those type of traits in the seventh round.
2: Yeah. It does seem like a really nice traits based bet at this late of the draft. So interesting there. And then Christian Holmes, the corner out of Oklahoma state, anything you got on him? I have nothing there.
1: No, I don't have anything there. I just think it's funny that both Dallas and Washington spent their last pick on guys from Oklahoma state.
2: Yeah pretty interesting there. All right. Give me a overall grade for the football team on their draft.
1: Yeah. I'm going to say a, hmm, I'm going to say as a C plus, I guess I'll go with, I think it's better than Dallas's draft. So I'm going to go with a, uh, just a average C plus C plus.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right. I respect it. I'm going to give him a C minus here. Um, almost in the D plus range for me, but that's probably too harsh. They, Added players that are going to help them. I just don't know what kind of a long term impact an interior defensive lineman who I don't think can really rush the passer, a running back who is not really dynamic by any means to me at the NFL level, a project safety, and then Jahan Dotson are going to make long term. Because once you get to the Howell Turner, Paul range, these are all big time just game. Once you, me, in my opinion, this draft really fell from a talent standpoint around like the 130 ish mark. I thought there was a pretty solid drop off from just following the draft. And even if if you go a little back, like even in the 120s, like you start to see some of these like, all right, we love this guy. We're taking him here type picks. Um, and just again, just the interior guy and a running back with their second and third round picks. And then a receiver who's five foot 11, 182 at 16. It just, it's, not, it's not a draft that I think is going to make any kind of massive impact long term. I think the Giants and football team were in closer spots than people really give them credit for before the draft. Like I don't think the Giants roster was that far behind the football team before the draft. And I think the Giants roster is now way ahead of them.
1: Yeah. A lot of people I've seen say like, and I'm you know not trying to be a Giants homer right here. They're like, oh yeah, you know, Giants are by far the worst roster. I'm like, is Washington that much better. I mean, I love their defensive front definitely, but they lost Brendan Sheriff. That's a huge asset on your offensive line. You look around the roster. There's not a lot of people that really jump out of you other than the defensive front.
2: Yeah, really Nick. I mean, Just look at the offensive line. Long-term, I feel like the Giants are in a much better spot, even if you just bank on Kluwinski playing as well as he has in recent years and not falling off too much, and then Neal and Thomas as those bookends. And on the defensive line, now that you throw Kayvon Thibodeau into the mix, yeah, it's behind, but I'm not so sure how far behind it is, and I feel much better about the secondary pieces we have than what Washington has. I don't think there's any discernible difference at the quarterback position right now at wide receiver. You could argue Washington's a little further ahead with Dotson and, and, um, and McLaurin, and I actually really like Diami Brown long term, but I don't think there's too much of a discernible difference there. So ultimately, I'm willing to even say I think the Giants roster after getting Neil and Thibodeau is a better roster moving forward and maybe even right away.
1: Yeah. I don't think that's a crazy take whatsoever. I don't think these rosters are too far away from each other, especially after this draft. I don't know why I keep seeing that. I've saw that at least a couple times on my timeline and I don't think that's necessarily the case. Dallas and Philly. Yeah. I think you can make, you could definitely make that argument, but Washington, I feel like they're much closer to the giants. It's not like they have huge game breakers on their team other than the defensive front and Terry McLaurin's is a good receiver.
2: Yeah, a hundred percent. And I'll, I'll even say, I think Philly has really taken a step forward. Dallas to me, is going to be totally dependent on if Dak can regain form. If Dak regains form, yes, they're way ahead of the Giants. If not, I see a team that's like, you know, not that much further ahead, but ultimately it's fair to say that he is ahead. And honestly, I don't want to discount what they found last year in Micah Parsons because they found somebody who might be the best defensive player in football by this time next next year. We might be saying he's the best defensive player in football.
1: Dude, thank gosh. Dallas couldn't trade up to get Kavon Thibodeau. Could you imagine a defense oh, with Kavon Thibodeau and Micah Parsons going forward? The amount of swag that would just be <laughs> dripping out of that defense and the amount of personality would be so frustrating to deal with as a Giants man. I that can't really wait awesome. to
2: watch Kavon Thibodeau on film. It's going to be so much fun for us. We haven't had anything like this in so long.
1: Dude, the All-22... I, I just can't wait for the All-22 breakdowns, dude. We have so much to go over. What were we going over last year, man? <laughs> we were going over... a. A coaching staff that we knew had to be fired. And then Andrew Thomas and Xavier McKinney and Aziz Jalari and Aaron Robinson. Now, is you know it. It. Oh my gosh, they're going to be such a good podcast. I can't wait, dude.
2: I really hope. And and the best thing is like, if worst comes to worst and Jones does get hurt again, at least it's going to still be somewhat fun to watch with Tyrod Taylor. It was so bad to watch with Glennon and McCoy. Even I'm going back to the McCoy days. I did not like watching McCoy tape. McCoy was just, like, it was just such a shit offense. They weren't challenging the defense at all from, like, a vertical standpoint. And it's just, like, it was painful to watch. And so, at least I know, like, we're going to have a good chance to get at least solid quarterback play, hopefully, out of Jones. And if worse comes to worse, Taylor. Giant fans deserve an award. They had to watch
1: McCoy and Mike Glennon in an offense led by Jason freaking Garrett. Don't forget
2: Jake Fromm. That's the worst of the worst. (laughs)
1: And you know what? I don't even like slandering Colt McCoy because I think Colt McCoy is a good backup quarterback, but it's not inspiring. It's not fun to watch. Yes. I think he's just wildly intelligent, and knows how to set his offense up to defeat opposing defenses, but that's not fun or exciting to watch. And the fact that Giant fans had to suffer through that with the Jake Fromm experience, it's good to be in the position they're in now, New York Giants. It's good to be where we're at now with Joe Shane, with Brian Dable, hopefully, Mike Kafka, Wink Martindale. That's so much more just exciting on paper than what we've been used to.
2: Yeah, completely agree. All right, that's all we have for today. Great in the NFC East drafts. Hope you enjoyed it. More content to come this week. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon.